Hey, how's it going? Brian Kane here, and I'm super excited tonight to welcome Zach Sorensen, author of The Hard 90, creator of The Hard 90 podcast. He's a former Major League Baseball player with the Cleveland Indians and the California or Anaheim Angels. After what, what team was it back then, Zach? That was it. The Los Angeles Angels Los Angeles, of Anaheim. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And Zach's currently the uh, mental performance coach at the major league level with the Atlanta Braves. And tonight we're, is the first part of a, basically a three-part podcast that we're going to run both on the Hard 90 podcast and on the Brian Kane Mental Performance podcast where we're going to get to interview Zach tonight in episode one talking with high school coaches about coaching the mental game through the Hard 90. And then we're also going to do a session where we talk with high school baseball players about how players can work the mental game through the hard 90. And our third session is going to be with mental performance coaches. And Zach's going to share kind of what he's learned through being a, a major league mental performance coach and uh, through, through the hard 90. So Zach, really excited for you to be with us here tonight. We've got some of the top high school baseball coaches in the country on the call. Really excited to dive into kind of the hard 90. Maybe to get started, would you kind of come up with the concept uh, or explain the concept to us of, you know, your title, the hard 90, and then how to prepare, compete and progress in the mental game? Yeah, I love it. The hard 90. You know, why did we choose that title? You know, Brian came, helped me come up with this title and why everywhere we go. And I know you guys agree with me. I always ask what percentage of this game is mental and we get the answer 90, 90, 90, 90, you know, uh, Bob Tewksbury wrote a book, you know, 90% metal. And so that's the number we always hear. The problem is it's the 10% of the game. We, we do it less than 10% of the time. So it's the 90% of the game that we do less than 10% of the time. And so we decided to go with that topic. Now, underneath that, I have written how to prepare, compete, and progress in the mental game. All right. So the reason why I put that in there is because I feel like mental performance takes place in three phases. How, it, the prepare phase is what are you going to do before the game starts? Okay. The compete phase is how are we going to work the mental game during the game? And then the progress phase is what takes place after the game that gets us ready for the next one. And that's where we do a lot of the gathering information. So what I did in this book is I broke it down and I feel like there's seven different skills of mental performance training. And, and I want to make sure that, that you guys see those and that we talk to them as a perspective of a coach. Seven different skills, which make up the seven chapters of the game of mental performance. And then, and then I dive into and talk about the drills that I used as a player that I learned as a bench player. Okay. And that I've gathered since I've got done playing that I like to use with my players right now. So that's where prepare, compete and progress comes from. That's where the hard 90 comes from real quick, kind of a fun story. You know, I, I started to mention this earlier, but I got out to Wichita state on a recruiting trip. And uh, they were a powerhouse at the time. In fact, my freshman year, we were ranked number one in the country the whole year, okay? And I get out there on a recruiting trip, and I, I was looking to go to a junior college. It was, was the only, only place I was going. And I said, hey, Coach Stevenson, I got one question for you. Have you ever seen me play this game? And I remember him and, and Coach Brent Kennens look at me, and they say, hey, we've been in this game a long time. We trust a lot of baseball people. One guy that we trust, because we trust very few, says that you can play for me, all right? So I got, after I got drafted a few years later, second round behind CC Sabathi, he went first to Cleveland. They took me second. I called the gentleman who was a scout. Okay. And I talk about this in the book to tell him, thank you for getting me on the path at Wichita state. And I said, wow, how many times have you seen me play? And he said, I saw you play one time. And I'm like, interesting, man, I must've been pretty good that day. Right. And he goes, actually you're terrible. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, we knew you could play. We had the reports, this and that. He's like, that day, you popped up to the shortstop, you struck out, and you hit a seven-hop ground ball back to the pitcher. And I'm like, I don't understand. Why did you recommend me to Wichita State? He says, 
the effort you gave us from home to first on the seven hopper back to the pitcher, known as the hard 90, is what made me recommend you to Wichita State. So it was the hard 90 that got me to Wichita State, which got me on this path. So kind of a double meaning there, just kind of a fun little little thing right there. But um, but lots of fun. I had a great time writing this book. I wrote it. There's a couple different things. In fact, I was talking to Kane about this. It, it kind of tells my personal story. It throws in some mental skill training, okay? But my main purpose is just that there's one or two things in there that can impact each one of you today. So if you have any questions for me along the way, raise a hand. If not, I'm going to dive into this and kind of talk to you about what I needed as a player from my coach. Go ahead, Kaner. Yeah, I just, you know, Zach, the point about how you landed at Wichita State based off of a recommendation from a coach, and this is at a time, right? You were in college, 1997 as a freshman. Is that right? Yeah, uh, 96. I was a freshman in college. Six as a freshman. So back then there wasn't, you know, as many showcases and rankings and the stuff that there is now. But I still think that even working in mental performance coaching in a lot of college baseball, I think one of the messages for the high school coaches that are on this call or listen to this podcast is the importance of the relationship that they have with college coaches and the recommendations that they give carry a lot of weight. Because as the high school coach, you know your player better than, than pretty much anybody else, maybe except their parents, right? And when, when Mark Johnson from Cherry Creek gives a recommendation to coaches at Arizona State or at Virginia or at TCU, you know, that recommendation is taken extremely highly. So I think for the high school coaches that are here and listening to this, never discredit the importance of your word and the importance of your relationship in terms of how that's going to help your kids progress and where they end up. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's why I ended up at Wichita State. I mean, who knows where my path would have been if I didn't go to Wichita State. So I get out there. And, and fortunately for me, the, their philosophy out there is I'm going to play the best guy. And I'm like, you know, they called three of us in three shortstops in and said, we have enough firepower around the infield and in the outfield. We have the bats this year. I just need someone that can catch the ball. I remember looking at myself and I'm like, I don't know if I can hit at this level, but I can catch the ball. Right. And that's what got me into the starting lineup as a freshman. And, and, and I was, you know, had a great time there. I, freshman, all American, uh, all American as a junior and, and academic all American and things went well for me. But that recommendation is what got me on the path. And I really, I, I really stress this because I know this is what you're trying to get out of your players and you can use this story with them. It was the hard 90 that got me to Wichita State. It was, that was it. And so, you know, utilize that story, tell them that, because I know you're trying to pull that out of them. There's only four times a day where you have to run hard, right? And I know you use that. And now there's a story you can use with that. So as we dive into this, okay, what did I need out of my coaches? What did I need out of them? And, and I've, I've spent some time thinking about this. The back of my book, I threw two little segments in there, and it, it's uh, the, the very back of it. And part of it's on flying above the storms, and, that, and we'll talk about that another time. But the other thing is just a really little bit on leadership. Okay, And I talk about the three things that all players need in a leader. Uh, and I thought this was very important. I use it a lot. They are looking for three things from you. Number one, can I trust them? Okay. Number two, do they care about me? And number three, will they make me better? All right. And as I go through this process as a mental performance coach out there with these minor league players or, or whomever it may be, I have to establish those three things. Okay. We talked that's relationship, but I have to establish those three things as quick as I can. When I do establish those three things, they will do whatever I ask them to do, especially at that level. So think about those and think about how you have those relationships with your players, because if you can establish those three things right there, you'll go a long ways with them. All right. Now, 
I'm going to find this for you because I'm not sure where I go ahead. Go ahead, Kaner. Well, Zach, question. I was going to say, you know, we've got questions that are coming into the chat from the coaches that, are, that I'll, I'll feed and kind of ask to you so you can stay here. You don't have to keep an eye on the chat. But then also, I think from for, for an overview, you know, in the book, you talk about seven skills and the four drills that go with that as your framework. Could you just touch on a high level about those seven skills that you feel like are the most essential for, because with the coaches that are reading your book or listening to this, they're going to have to take the book and they're going to have to go back and teach those seven skills to the program unless they bring you in to work with them. Yeah, for sure. So, so for me, I based it on an acronym and, you know, Kane and I have gone back and forth on this acronym um, because it's hard to spell and people don't understand it. But for me, it, it's, we want all of our players to be phenomenal. Okay. We want them to be phenoms. All right. So that has been my acronym. Now, one thing that's interesting about this is I was that player in, in, in professional baseball. I always joke about this. I almost titled the book, The Lessons I Learned About Mental Performance on Field Four. Now, the reason why I did that is because Field Four is where they send those guys that aren't going to get in the game very often, right? That's where I took batting practice, was out on Field Four. And my nickname, by the, by the way, was, was Justin. So I was on the team just in case somebody didn't want to face Randy Johnson or just in case somebody got hurt that day. Okay. You kind of see where I'm going with that. But um, so one thing we always talk about, though, is how do you play? So you're playing a game every single night. We're routine oriented players we love to you know we get in our routine and things are just fine you play night game at 705 705 705 705 then you have a sunday day game at 230 okay your body is all out of whack and so the question is is how do you get yourself ready mentally to play a game when your routine is thrown off okay and and we we dive into routines and how to deal with them and how not to be married to them all the time many players will go make sure they got extra coffee or extra mountain dews or all the other stuff that you that you add in okay to make it happen for me, I used to go pants high that day and I used to wear these patent leather shiny shoes and they were called phenoms. So again, there's a double meaning there. So my phenoms are what I use to help me get ready for a day when mentally I would be down. So phenom, skill number one, process over outcome. And I'll share this with you while we're doing this. Drill number two, honest self-evaluation. Okay, skill number three, this one keeps popping up. I'm not sure why that's popping up right there. I got skill you. number three, you got it? Is it popped up? We're good? Good, yep. Is emotional control. Skill number three, emotional control. Skill number four, never-ending eagerness to get better. And this is interesting. I, I used to write down never-ending willingness to get better. Dr. Rob Gilbert corrected me, and he says, it's not about being willing to get better. It's about being eager to get better. So I changed that. I, I appreciate that from him. Overpowering adversity and embracing failure. And then the last two, I used to combine them, but they're so important that you need to use them uh, in and of themselves. Mastering mental imagery and mastering self-talk. So those are my seven skills that I talk about. So whenever I'm doing training, I have a seven-week training course. Um, my podcast is based on these skills. So month number one is process over outcome. Number two is honest self-evaluation and on the way down. Underneath each of these, I will give, whenever I'm training, I give four drills for individuals to do day in and day out. So for example, uh, process over outcome is skill number one. Drill number one is control what you can control. I know you guys have seen this before. Um, and I don't think, Kane, I don't think I've even shown you this. Check this out right here. The, I'm the bat. I'm going to use today's an autograph Sean Casey model. Okay. Giveaway. But, uh, but you know, this is pretty cool right here. I talk to our players all the time and I say, very often, the things that are upsetting us or making a struggle in our life are things that we can't control. Kane has done this with you guys. You've seen it, but this is great. So what we do is we stand back and we say, okay, I want you to grab a bat like this. You're going to put your right hand at the bottom of the bat, okay? In a second, you're going to let go with your left hand, and I want you to focus on the very top of the bat and just balance the bat. 
and you can see it's really easy to do. Okay. Now, as you release the hand on the bat, we're going to focus your eyes down on the knob of the bat. All right. And your job is to control to try to keep this thing from falling over and it's almost impossible to do. This is controlling things you can control. This is focusing on things that you can't control down here. It's a great way for your players to see what's going on there. So that's kind of how I teach it. But, but uh, those are the seven skills I hit. I hit them hard and, uh, and I dive into them. And, um, and it's interesting to see the impact it makes. Like Kane says, you know, there, there's, he's working with pitchers. I mean, he'll talk to you about, you know, Corbin Burns right now and what he's doing, and he'll give credit to the mental game. Some of the pitchers I've had a chance to work with, exact same thing. Here's why. We do not teach the mental game. We do not coach the mental game. The reason is, is because we haven't been taught how to coach it. It's more important now than it's ever been. You guys tell me it's the 90% of the game. How often do we do it? Less than 10% of the time. So, Regardless of the content we are giving our players, just working the game a little bit is going to give them the advantage and they're going to get better because of it. Awesome. And Zach, I love the okay, fact... Comments that or questions on that before we move on? Yeah, I love, I love the, 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 the acronym. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think the, the key thing is, I think for the coaches listening to this, is... I'm not sure it's exact. I don't think there's a right system. I think it's just that you have one. Like if you watch the the art of coaching with Bill Belichick and Nick Saban on HBO, a documentary which is tremendous, and I think every coach should watch that, regardless of sport. Is Saban echoes the same thing? He goes, "I don't think we have like this perfect process. It's just that we have one, and we're relentless with executing it." And I think that's the key for you as coaches is. You know, take a look at you know Zach's phenom acronym, or just even if you took took two or three of these. Let's say you took process over outcome, honest self-evaluation, and you took emotional control. That could be your mental performance program. You know, and I think you just look at for yourself saying, okay, well, I like the content that Zach here has in here. He's got a really good framework to follow where he has these seven skills that he's trying to develop. And there's four drills for each of those skills. And if you have the book, I like that, you know, if you look at the chapter summary, he says, skill, self-talk, the four drills, signs of success, perspective, saying self-talk, that's me, and listen to yourself versus talk to yourself, you know, or talk to your, and, and that's, so he gives you the four uh, drills that you can do. So I think as a coach, you just look at it and say, okay, whether I take it from the hard 90, I take it from Kane's 30-day athletes program, I take it from Heads Up Baseball, I take it from Mental Game of Baseball by Harvey Dorfman, whatever it is, you just create your system to use with your program and say, this is how we do the mental game. And we know it's the start that stops most people. So kind of just getting started with it. And, um, you know, Zach, one of the questions that came through was about, you know, walking us through the on deck and then the whole routine that you use for hitters. And I know you expand on this in the book in terms of, you know, when your at-bat starts, when your at-bat ends, you talked about using a wristband, you talked about using your batting gloves and kind of how you had a physical process for that whole at-bat. Would you walk us through that kind of on the deck in the hole and that whole routine for hitters? Yeah, I think what you find out is hitters that do have a process and a routine, they become the best version of themselves that they can become. So it all goes back to routines and, 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 you know, we, we've hit this really hard in, in this course. We're hitting hard with your athletes and, and we think it's very important. What's interesting for me is we teach the yellow light refocus and the red light release and refocus all the time. What I find out is my players love it so much that the yellow light refocus, they use every pitch. 
Okay. They have, they have the bat, they have the barrel. They, they are staring at the, the barrel of the bat. In fact, my college and high school players, they put a piece of tape just underneath. Uh, here's, here's my college bat right here. Okay. You got a piece of tape just underneath the barrel of the bat. Okay. That's their focal point. They're staring at when they're taking a deep breath and written on there is going to be their final saying that they say to themselves. Okay. So this is something very easy. You can implement with your players, you know, put a piece of tape underneath there, have them all figure out what their final saying is going to be. And, and you see these guys do it day in and day out. The biggest thing for me is what we're trying to do is we're trying to get all of our athletes to play one pitch at a time. That's it. Bottom line. And, and if you can get them to make that happen and they will be the most successful versions of themselves. Now, how do you go about doing that? And, and I talked about this a little bit last time I was on here, but um, I was taught by one of my coaches in, in the mental game. He talked about the three steps to focus is what he called it. He said, step one is, is what is my immediate mission? Okay, so understanding what needs to get done. Step number two is, is kill the noise. And then step number three is going to be execute the mission. And I said, hey, that's great. I, 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 we all agree with that. But what happens if the mission doesn't go the way you want? Then what do you do? Okay, and so this is something I, that I really hit hard with my players this last week when I was out there with them. After the mission is done, so after the pitch is done, the play is done, very often our players go immediately to emotional reaction. Okay, so you have mission, you have emotional reaction. In between mission and emotional reaction is a gap that you need to master. Okay, and if you can master the gap in between mission and emotion, that's where all the information is. So when you start talking like this to your players, what you're doing is you're allowing them to fail. You're giving them permission to be themselves and to go all out. And when you allow them to go through that process, to make mistakes, to learn from mistakes, and then get back on track because of the routines that they've established with the breath and the focal point staring at the bat, then this just flows and they continue to get better. And, you know, if we want to break that down some more, we can, but that leads me into something actually someone last week asked me to talk about, which is good, better, best. So if there's any questions at this point, let's break them down. If not, I'm going to talk about good, better, best. Yeah, I know, Zach, I think, I think that's a great segue. You know, you talked about the, the piece of tape that you put around your bat, you know, which used to probably be where the pine tar could go up to and you'd write a final thought on that. And the final thought for hitters is, you know, very similar to what Sean Casey talks about in a great video. On, the, on, the, on YouTube where he does a piece on the MLB network where he says he used to put an index card in the back of his pocket and he'd write down three things, see the ball, be easy, hammer it. And those were kind of his three final hit thoughts. Was there anything that you used or anything you teach your guys or the Braves that the coaches listening to this could take and use with their players where they have a final thought and like what helps you determine what that final thought is? Could you kind of unpack that for us? Yeah, so so two things that I that I came across these last couple of weeks that I've been super excited to share with the Braves, um, based on what Sean Casey taught us, because I, I love that concept of what he taught us. First of all, as a coach, I think, and I heard this the other day. In fact, Kane, you were the one that brought it up to me, and I haven't even seen the podcast yet. But you taught me um, that even better than the perfect answer is the perfect question. So I took one of my players this week and I had lots of great advice to give him on how he could become better. And instead of me giving him the advice, I asked him the questions. And guess what? He knew the answers to everything I was going to tell him, but now it's coming from him. Okay. So one of the things I recommend that our coaches do, and I don't want to get you know off track right here, but I recommend that you have personal player, I call them personal player interviews, okay, where you're going to sit down, you're going to break things down with your players and talk about 
you know, expectations for the year. You're going to talk about scattering reports, which we have to dive into scattering reports on this call tonight. We will for sure. Um, but we have, you know, you're going to sit down and basically show them that you have time for them. Now, a lot of my coaches will say, well, I don't have time to do that. You know, our schedules are tight. I'm out there running this, you know, out there running the team practice, this and that. My response to them is that's why you have assistant coaches. Your programming is in place. Your schedule's in place. Let it take place and let it be a, a, a player led team. Okay. You can take time to pull one player aside and sit down and have personal player interviews with them where you can break some of this stuff down. You're going to paint the picture of what you see in them, what their weaknesses are, what their strengths are, and what the game plan is to get them to where they want to be. So, but going back to the Sean Casey situation, I did that with my player this past week. And I said, hey, for you to be successful, you've been up to the big leagues, you've been back down. You went back up, you went back down. Okay, it's time for you to figure out who you are as a player. But instead of me telling him who he is as a player, okay, I said to him, who are you as a player? And what's it going to take for you to be a successful, established major league pitcher that's going to stick at the big leagues? What are your keys to get you back on track? So here's what I've come up with. And I think this is a really good way to explain what Sean Casey did with his index card. When you are driving a car on a road, okay, you're driving down the road and you start to get outside of the line, whether it be the white line or the yellow line on the street, okay? Whether it be because you're tired, whether it be because you're looking at your phone, I hope you're not, whether it be because you're drifting off, whatever it might be, when you get outside the line, there, there are some things just outside the line and they're called rumble strips, okay? They're those things that go do, 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 do. Now, if I were to ask you and whoever wants to unmute, they can, or Kane, you can answer this. What is the purpose of a rumble strip? It's to, it's to give you the awareness in the, in the jolt going, hey man, you're about to run into some serious trouble in this guardrail or get off the road, wake up and fix it. Absolutely. Don't we need those in our performance? Absolutely. Okay. We need rumble strips in our performance. It says, wake up. Let's get you back in your lane. Let's get you back on track. Things are about to go bad. Okay. So what I say to my players now is, Hey, what are your three simple rumble strips that you're going to say to yourself to get you back on track? If I asked Sean Casey that question, he would say, see the ball, be easy and hammer it. Those are his rumble strips. So whenever he loses focus, rumble strips come into play, bam, he's right back in his lane. So it's a great way. In fact, I was on a call earlier tonight with, I, I have a, a personal group with about 10 players on it right now going through it. Their job is to text me tonight what their three rumble strips are based on what Sean Casey taught us. So I think that's something you guys can use. It's very simple and very easy. And it is so rewarding as a coach to see your players start to struggle, hit the rumble strip, and then get back on track because you're teaching the mental game and, and you're allowing them to be themselves. Zach, what would be an example of, of like rumble strips that a player would send you? Yeah. So I can tell you something that I used to use as a player. Okay. So, and for me now that I've been in the mental game and been taught by, by Kane, thank you so much. Uh, as a player, I remember being in the box. All right. And when I was struggling and mine was too long. However, you know, I guess that's debatable. I used to say, throw me your best pitch. I'm going to hit it right back at you. Okay. The point is, is why do we have rumble strips? Why do we need rumble strips? In my opinion, what's happening is our mind's wandering. We're starting to go into yellow lights. To me, that means you're distracted. Okay. So green lights is you're dialed in yellow lights. You're distracted. Red lights, you're defeated mentally. So when I get distracted, I start having those thoughts like, oh boy, or I'm in trouble or, you know, mom's telling me to battle. That just means I'm, I'm behind in the count. All of these things that happen. So for me, I used to say that to myself. Sean cases are perfect. Defensively, I use rumble strips more so than probably offensively. So defensively, I used to use the 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 red light release. Um, 
and I talk about it in the book. I, I say, you know, behind shortstop at Wichita State University, we had the turf infield, grass outfield. You guys all remember how that looked out there. When I made an error, I immediately went to red lights. And that's because I took so much pride in my defense. The problem is, and you guys know this, is you got to get back on track because that next ball's coming to you. You know, that's the game we that's the game we chose to play. Here it comes. So I would go back to the drain, okay, the water drain behind the turf infield, and I would take the little man out of my glove. Okay. And I would put him in jail. So we've all been trained in this, but that is my red light release. I would take my deep breath and I would say, you've made this play a thousand times back to my position, deep breath, hit me the ball, hit me the ball. So those are the little, you know, and and the more that I'm learning about it, I love Sean Casey's because they're so simple and they're so easy. They have tons of purpose behind them. They have tons of meaning behind them, but they just get him right back on track. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've referred to him as like three keys to keep it simple. You know, and I think well, strips are three keys to keep it simple. It's the same. It's the same concept. It's like when you start and in baseball as a pitcher or as a hitter, we start to overanalyze. And I think as coaches, sometimes, you know, we we sometimes can maybe make it even too complex for ourselves instead of just having three things. Like when you're coaching at your best, what are the three things you're doing? Engage, engage in this pitch, bring energy, stay positive. You know, something like that to kind of help your players or help yourself to have a process, whether you call them rumble strips or three keys to keep it simple, to kind of keep you in the lane, right? As you start to get out of the lane, as the analogy, you need something to bring you back. And as baseball players and coaches, we're constantly, the game is constantly trying to take us out of the lane and we need some tools to be able to bring us back. And I think that's, that's one of the, one of the benefits, Zach, of your book is there are so many tools. I mean, you've got the seven skills, the process over outcome and the phenom acronym. You've got four drills that coaches and players can do with each of those skills. One of the drills that you, you referenced was this concept of scouting reports. And you kind of alluded to it in your last, your last piece here, but how can a high school coach, right? A high school coach has got scouting reports on the other teams. Uh, other teams got scouting reports on, on your players, but how can a high school coach help his players craft their own scouting report so they can almost use that as a game plan to improve. Could you kind of unpack the benefit of you and your meeting with Eric Wedge and getting that scouting report and the benefit of our coaches doing that with their players? Yeah, for me, this is what got me the big leagues. And just be being completely honest, you know, with you guys right now, I was in my first full season of professional baseball. I was struggling. I, I feel like I was hitting like, I don't know, 140, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was 240. It was, it was just tough to get a hit, right? And I, I remember talking to Wedge and he was so great about me. He, he also taught me the, the post-game evaluation, okay? So I talk about being an honest self-evaluator. He taught me that concept as well. And if we get to that tonight, awesome. Um, and I, we probably will a little bit. But after I get done talking about self-evaluation with him, I went back to him and I said, okay, you're giving me some great info here. I need you to do me a favor. And he's like, what's that? And I said, I need you to develop a scouting report for me, like an honest, true scouting report that talks about everything about me. And he's like, well, I don't know if the organization, we have them. I don't know if the organization will let me give that to you. And I said to him, I didn't ask you if you, if they were going to let you give one to me. I said, I need you to give me a scattering report. And I said, but I only need one thing out of you. You have to make sure that it's completely brutally honest. Okay. So the next day he showed up and I swear he had about 15, 20 pages of, of a scattering report. And he was very hesitant to give it to me because it just blasted me. Okay. And it let me know a lot of things that I really struggled with. The day after that, he met me in the parking lot as I pulled in and put his arm around me and said, are, are you okay? And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Are you okay? And he's like, man, that was, you know, I really laid into you on, on what that looked like. So let me give you just an example of what this thing looked like. Um, 
and it'll kind of give you an idea. So it, it, this is a revised edition of it, but it had the limitations. It had a reframe, which I've added since I've, I've got to know Kane, and then a process. But it talked about all my weaknesses. Bunting needs to be a better all-around bunter on down. Needs to hit the more ground balls, the opposite field during batting practice. Obviously, that was before the new way of hitting a baseball. Okay. And then reframe, but there's a process in here too that says, okay, that's one thing I really struggle with. How am I going to get better at it? 30 bunts every single day off a pitching machine. Watch a video on mechanics of bunting. Now, here's why I make such a big deal about this, especially in professional baseball, but even at the level where we're coaching in high school and college baseball, everybody has a scattering report on the player, the opposing team, the opposing pitchers. We have meetings just talk about scattering reports. The only person who doesn't have a scattering report on a player is the player. I was out with the, you know, the minor league spring training right now. I just left there, you know, a week ago and I sat through meeting after meeting after meeting and phone call after phone call talking about the scouting reports on all of our very own players. And I almost raised my hand every time and said, do our own players have their very own scouting report? Because this is the, this is the individual who needs to know this. So to finish the story, um, I just got after that list of limitations that I had in my game. I implemented everything into my daily routine where, it come, you know, bunting, hitting the ball the other way, this and that. When I got called up to the big leagues, Eric Wedge was the manager in the big leagues. And I got into his office and I said, why did you call me up to the big leagues? It wasn't like I was hitting 330 or 340 at the time. And he says, you're the best player on the team. He's like, you're getting good lateral movement on your ground balls. So we know we can put you in any defensive position out there. But my point is, is everything on my list of limitations, that was the reason why I got called up to the big leagues. Without that information, I never would have done it. I would have just kept playing harder. Okay. And I think that's how we've attacked the mental game is just playing harder. And once I was taught this by wedge, you know, it was like, oh, okay, here's all the things I struggle with. That doesn't hurt my feelings. I didn't take it personal. In fact, I went back up to him and I said, he, when he asked me if I was okay, the next day, I said, I'm only okay. If what you told me was true, because if you told me what was true, you just gave me all the information I need to get to the big leagues. Mm. And it ended up being true because it got me to the big leagues because of that list. Well, I think that's such a key, a key thing in coaching is having, having that relationship with your players where you can give them that honest feedback and honest evaluation and, you know, encouraging them to say, Hey, I'm about to, I'm about to have a difficult conversation with you because I care about you and I want you to be the best player you can be. So what I'm about to share with you is not necessarily going to feel good because it's going to challenge you as a player. But if you execute on what I'm sharing with you, it's going to make you the best player you can be. And I'm coming at this from a place of love. We're put into a form of a scouting report. And this scouting report would be what college coaches are, are saying about you. It's what opponents are saying about you. And if we can go to work on leveling up in these areas, it's only going to help your career. And I think if you frame it that way, players are going to go, well, well yeah, of course I want that information. you know. And then they may get a little bit of their emotions hurt or whatever, but you're coming at it from the right place. And I think taking that feedback that you have for them that you want them to get better with and putting it into the form of a scouting report, especially in baseball, is such, is such a genius idea, you know? Zach, yeah, and if I, let me real quick, let me take this just a little bit further. So, you know, oftentimes on these calls, we talk about how to deal with the parents, you know, and how hard it is to deal with mom and dad. Honestly, mom and dad haven't been taught anything about the mental game. And, and you know, in their eyes, their son, they're all going to play in the big leagues and they should have been drafted last year. I mean, that's just how we are as parents, right? So I can't think of any better way to answer all of those questions than to say, well, let's go back to the scouting report. Let's see where we're at. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think, I think the scouting report concept is great. And Zach, you had posted there that form that basically said the four areas they wanted you to improve your reframe and then what you were going to do to improve those. Could you pull that back up for us for a second? And I think, you know, if you can, um, 
can send me this sheet. We'll post it here inside of the group chat with our high school coaches so they can access this. But let's take a look at that sheet that you posted up there with those those limitations that the organization gave you and then your game plan to go to work on those. Because I think one of the mistakes that we can make as coaches, I know I've made it a ton, is sitting with an athlete and saying, hey, here's the limitations you have and these are the areas you need to improve your game to get better but we don't give them a game plan to get better. I think that's a lot of how coaches approach the mental game is they'll say, hey, you're a mental midget. I mean, I got that a ton as a player, right? It's part of why I got in the mental game. Hey, you're a mental midget. You got to learn how to relax. But no one ever told me, well, well, if I'm a mental midget, who's the mental giant? What's that look like? How do I get there? And no one gave me that plan. If they said, hey, you got to learn how to relax. No one told me to take a deep breath as part of my pre-pitch routine until I met Ken Revisa. And then I'm like, well, I can do that. That's easy. That helps me relax. Wow. You know, so giving them the the limitations or the scouting report in areas that they need to get better, but then giving them the game plan. And Zach, I want to kind of come in here. And, you know, one of the things you had on here, says does not consistently get good reads on ground balls. And you reframed that to say, I get great reads on ground balls when I'm ready, focused and anticipate. And for our coaches here, a reframe is a concept where basically you take, you take a negative and you, you put a spin on it to make it more positive for you. So for example, if you had a picture in your office, or let's see what a jersey hanging up in your office and you change the frame and you change the mat in there, the jersey is still the same, but it looks totally different because of the way that you framed it, right? So when we're giving feedback as coaches, which we do a lot, we want to make sure that we always are giving that feedback in a way that we can reframe it that's best for our players to receive it. So, you know, does not get consistently good reads on ground balls is I get great reads on ground balls when I'm ready, focused, and anticipate. And then Zach, your process for that was lateral steps, lateral first steps, 10 to each side, 10, 10 ground balls daily rolled by a coach, 10 one hops off a machine in the cage, balls off the bat and BP and focusing, you know, on uh, the, the, the video aspect of that and evaluating that and visualizing successful execution. So I think this process of limitation reframe and then giving them a, the drills that they can do to improve that is really, really good. Is this something that you do with the players in the Braves organization where you help them kind of identify their limitations, reframe them, and then give them a process to level up and improve in those areas? Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting, the reframe, you know, you mentioned is kind of putting a positive spin on things. You're creating true statements. You know, it, it's not like you're lying all of a sudden. So them telling me my limitations, I'm not a good bunter. When you reframe it, I am a good bunter when I get a good pitch to bunt and I keep my barrel above the ball. And I say, is the true statement? And my athlete is like, well, well yeah. So it, it doesn't mean you're not a good bunter. It just means that we need to bear down on certain things. And then how are we going to get to that? And, you know, Kane, that kind of reminds me of, of how I go about doing it. So I'll share this with you guys on how I go about creating this, this, this goal of, of progression. So, you know, you brought this up to me earlier. You know, our goal is to work in progress. Okay. Um, with everything that we do because we are a work in progress. So I want to teach my players that they are a work in progress, which means they're always going to be getting better day in and day out. How are you going to do that? We're going to work in progress. We're going to start getting better each and every day. So um, I talk a lot about my well, better how. And the reason why I talk about the well, better how is because when I go to some of my players and I say, hey, what's the number one thing that we've done this past year that has made a difference to you? And I know you guys have seen this, but I'm going to bring it up again, okay? What's the number one thing that we've done? They, they say it's the Well Better How. So every single night after a game, I have my players fill out this Well Better How thing. And I think it's important for you guys to do this with your players because it kind of bookends the day. If you don't bookend your day, you're going to roll right into tomorrow with whatever happened today. So if you had a tough day today, you're slumping a little bit. Why would you stop slumping tomorrow? 
you fall into this this player who just hopes that he gets a hit. Well, I'm not. That's not good enough. As you start getting to higher level of competition, so we need to bookend our day, gather the information, and go for it. So, at the end of each day, what did I do well? What do I want to do better? How am I going to do it? Way simple, way easy. I mean, it it, it it's a piece of cake to see. In fact. Um, and I'll throw this in there too. I, it's so easy and simple, but I created a journal. And if you want to jump on Amazon, I think I put on there for like 10 bucks, you know, you can get the, the, the journal for, for athletes or whatever it is. And, and it's just one of these pages for every single day of the year underneath there, we have the controllables. These are the things they can control attitude, perspective, body language, preparation, competitive, self-talk focus, all of the things that we've talked about. I have the date down there. I've got this box at the bottom of here. Okay. When they have a game that they're pleased with, they're happy with, and oftentimes it's results, I get it, that's fine. They're going to color this box in, and I used to say with red or with yellow, but I've changed it. Let's make it green, okay? Let's make this our green box. When you start struggling, you can flip through your journal, you see a green box, you're going back and see what you did that day. And it's just going to try to get you, it's your rumble strip, okay? It's going to get you back on track. Now, here's what I want to talk about right here, though. How am I going to do it? So let me break this down. Let's say that I played last night. What did I do well? I got three hits. All right, sweet, good. Oftentimes, what I did well, our players will talk about results. And that's okay. What do I want to do better? Well, my last at bat, I got to base it off a left-handed pitcher. And then I got picked off first base. So I've got to be a better base runner. I've got to get better reads off left-handed pitchers. How am I going to do it? I've got written in here, what is my 1424? Okay, so we all know that 14 minutes and 24 seconds is 1% of your day. So because I had a weakness exposed, remember the Kobe Bryant video we broke down last week, because my weakness was exposed in the game and I got picked off, I can plug that into what am I going to do tomorrow, which is my 1424. So I may say, hey, for 10 minutes, I'm going to grab a left-handed pitcher off my team and he's going to show me his left-handed move live. Then I'm going to go inside, I'm going to start watching video for four minutes and 24 seconds off left-handed pitching. Here's what's cool about this. I am promoting, okay, progress. When they got exposed, the weakness was exposed, okay, and they got picked off first base, exposure was there. Prior to becoming mental performance phenoms, they would go home upset, mad, disappointed in themselves. We're creating this concept that, you know what, you got picked off. Let's figure out why you got picked off and let's work on it tomorrow. And because you got picked off now and you worked on it tomorrow, you're going to become a better base runner because of it. We're allowing them to get better because we're allowing them to fail. And that's how you deal with failures. So what is my 1424? You plug it into tomorrow's pregame routine or workout. So I always tell you, if I were a basketball coach, same thing with baseball, same thing with anything, but basketball is really easy because you got a scoreboard sitting right there. Okay. So you, you get done with basketball practice. you got gather everybody together. You, you, you say your kumbayas, you do your, you, you know, your three, two, one go. I would put 14 minutes and 24 seconds on the clock. And I would say, get it done. And it, wouldn't it be cool to see all of your players go to different parts of the court? You got one guy working on his free throws. You got another guy working on dribbling. Okay. You got another guy doing the foam roller. All right. Whatever it is they need to do, get it done. You give them 14 minutes and 24 seconds. And every single person is working on just getting a little bit better every day. And in my opinion, that's all we can ask for as coaches. That's all I can ask for as a dad with my kids. All right. That's all I can ask of myself is that I get a little bit better every day. Well, now you're giving them the structure to make that happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think cre- creating creating that structure and that game plan and giving them the ownership, right? If you're, if you're saying to practice, hey, you got 14 minutes and 24 seconds. And in basketball, it's easier because you just grab a ball and you go work on your skill, right? Baseball, you're going to need someone to be with. But I think you can pair people up. 
And then they almost have an accountability structure where that's part of what they do, you know, kind of on a daily basis and, you know, gives them an opportunity to work on that. And Zach, I got a couple of questions coming in here. Also wanted you to unpack the good, better, best, which I thought was so good. And I think you, you give an example in the book of a wrestler who you were working with and, you know, the good, better, best, this kid was a state champion and you tried to tell him he was good. And he's like, I'm just not believing that. Right. And I think there's a difference between, I think I'm the best versus I'm, I'm working to kind of get better. Would you unpack that for us for a second? Cause I think that's such a great concept for coaches to, to get away from. We want to be the best versus to get into, we want to get better. Would you kind of unpack that for us? Yeah, this, this was really interesting to me. This was eye-opening to me uh, a couple years ago. So I was working with the Texas Rangers organization. I fly down to you know Arizona where they had the guys there, and I, I'm talking to them about certain concepts. Let me back up real quick. I, I was went and sat in on a, a conversation where the discussion was about good, better, best. And so if you guys were to think about that topic of good, better, best, we all nod our heads because we agree with it. If, if you're a good player, my job as a coach is to push you to become better, right? And if you're better, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you to become the best. And I believed in that my whole life. So I go down to Arizona and, and I'm, I'm hearing, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to start talking to you guys about this. So I, the first seven draft picks, in fact, uh, Cole was one of the guys that was down there, you know, Caners. I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there talking individually to each one of the top seven draft picks. I think they went all high school players that year and they gave them anywhere from, I don't know, 200,000 to $7 million signing bonuses. So these guys are like, they're the elite. And as I'm talking to them, I'm congratulating them. Hey, this has been your dream. This has been your goal. This has been this. This has been that. Congratulations on being the best. Soon as I say the word best, guess what happens? Their eyes drop. In fact, you guys go out there tomorrow to your players and, and, and try this. As soon as I say congratulations on being the best, they put their head down. Now, we recognize that there's some body language going on there. So I finally asked one of the players, I'm like, how come every time I say the word best, you put your head down? And finally, the guy, because I picked the right guy, he's like, because I don't believe it. Michael, what do you mean you don't believe it? We just gave you $5 million signing bonus. What do you mean you're not the best? And he's like, look at all these players in this clubhouse. He's like, look at those players out there on the field. I'm not the best. And I said, hmm, well, I mean, that's, that's good evaluation, okay, but, but don't we need to think that we're the best? Yes or no? And so I started thinking about that a lot. So I went back to these same guys and I said, I got a question for you. What's your biggest fear about playing professional baseball? And they looked at me and they said that we're not going to be good enough. And I'm like, huh, interesting. This guy, he's been playing professional baseball for two days and he has this fear that he's not going to be good enough. Can we relate to that? Absolutely. Okay. So I go back home, I'm thinking about this and I, I'm speaking to a youth group that weekend and I walk in there and I'm like, man, you're some of the best kids I've ever seen. Eyes go down. What's your biggest fear about life, about marriage, about getting a job, about going to college that I'm not going to be good enough? So in the good, better, best model, okay, we say no when it comes to being the best. And our biggest fear is, is, is being good enough. So then I started thinking again. I'm like, okay, let's go back to the baseball bat concept we talked about. Can I control if I'm the best, yes or no? Can I control that, yes or no? And if you, if you really think about it, the answer is no, because there's probably always somebody better than you. That depends on other people. So you can't personally control if you're the best. Can you control if you're good enough? Tough question, okay? And you're kind of answering that in your head. But at the end of the day, you can't control if you're good enough because that's all depends on who's asking the question. So I could be good enough for one coach and not for the other coach. I could be good enough for Wichita State, but not for Stanford. In fact, I tell that story in the book. And Zach is winning the staring contest now as his Zoom has frozen. That's the beauty of part of these live calls. Awesome. So Zach, stay in that position. Let's hope you don't cramp up with the shoulders. We can see you there. But I think, you know, one of the great things uh, that, that he's offering us here is, is you know, the, the, the seven skills the four drills in each skill. And as he's going to unpack kind of the good, better, best, right, is, is when you start getting to a lot of levels. And I had this conversation with a, a pitcher at TCU a couple of weeks ago. 
And this guy was, you know, all Big 12 last year, all everything. You know, everyone was talking about him being in the first five. He was going to be a first five-round draft pick last year in the draft where they only had five rounds. If they had six rounds, he probably would have been gone. And we had a call last week, and as we were talking, I was like, well, last year, and he's struggling this year big time, right? And I'm like, last year when you were pitching your best, what was your mindset? And he's like, I'm on the mound thinking I'm the best. I can dominate these guys. They can't hit my stuff, yada, yada. I'm like, well, how's that working for you right now? He's like, what do you mean? I go, well, don't you have the same mindset right now? Because that's a choice. Are you using that? Are you doing that? He's like, no. I'm like, well, what's the mindset? I hope I throw a strike. I hope I Scott doesn't get a hit, right? He's completely changed the mindset. And I said, look, man, this whole concept that I'm the best, like the Conor McGregor fueled, I'm the best there's ever been, you know, um, it's just not reality. I go, you hear about it from motivational speakers who have never been in a fight and got any scars because they haven't lost games, they haven't been in the dugout. You hear about it from, you know, these guys who might say it in the UFC or these guys who say it occasionally, but like how many guys are really the best? Like if your name's not Mike Trout, can you honestly say you're the best hitter in Major League Baseball? Probably not. But the mentality of saying I'm good enough, the mentality of I'm getting better, I think are a lot more powerful than I'm the best. So I think what happens with I'm the best is you think it's going to be easy. And when you think I'm the best, you start getting into these expectations of what the outcome should be. And you have to trade expectations for a focus on execution. And in baseball, you don't have to be the best team to win a state championship. You just got to play the best that day. And Kirk Sarlos, who's the pitching coach at TCU, is on that call with us. And he said, when I played Major League Baseball and I played five years in the big leagues, he goes, there was not one time I ever thought I was the best. He goes, every game, I knew everyone else who was on that field was better than me physically. He goes, but mentally, I knew I was good enough to be able to get any guy out if I executed my pitch. Mentally, I knew I could, I could compete at that level because I was good enough. And he said something that, remember, Ken Revis is saying all the time is that sometimes good enough is. And I think for coaches and, and for people in general, that can be hard enough to grasp onto. Sometimes good enough is. No, I want to be the best. It's like, but if we really look at it, like you don't have to be the best. You just got to be the, you just got to play better that day. And it's like, I remember Chad Morris when I was working with him as a football coach at SMU and, and we're playing, I can look back because we got the game balls that day, is we, we were playing number 11, University of Houston, who had beaten Oklahoma that year. They were on a tear, right? They're undefeated. They come in, we beat them 38 to 16. And he was saying, look, we don't have to be better than these guys all year. We don't have to be better than them. You know, they beat Oklahoma. We lost to North Texas. We don't have to be better than these guys other than for one play, not even for 40, not even for the whole game, just one play. You should be better than them on one play. And if you can be better than them on one play, you can be better than them on the next play. And you don't even have to be better than the whole team, the whole sideline that they're bringing in. Just find the individual matchup that you have and just work to win that matchup as often as you can. And if our 11 guys in the field are winning that matchup more than their 11 guys on that field are winning that matchup, we're going to win the football game. So just win your matchup one play at a time, stay in your box, control what you can control, and let's go out there and shock the world outside of everybody in this locker room because we know what we can do if we play our best. And I just thought it was such a good message, you know, because it wasn't like we're trying to, to go, go David Goliath on these guys. We're just trying to go out there and play our best. And if we do, and we do it consistently, we'll give ourselves a chance to win at the end of the game. And they just happened to not play well. And we did, and we beat them by 20 in a huge upset. So Zach, you were kind of talking about good, better, best. And then we got into that freezing competition and yeah, lost you. So uh, come back to us. Yeah, no, sorry about that. You know, but I was getting too excited and too geeked up. But what, what, what I was getting at is when you give your guys permission to live in that progress phase of, of life, 
okay, to live in, okay, I don't really care where you're at right now. Here's where you're at. But if we just focus on a little bit better every day, just like you were just talking about, Kane, it's a game changer where these guys can go. It's amazing when you give them permission for growth that, that they'll grow. They're not worried about just, like you said, just being the best. I run into that with my guys at the big league level, you know. So here we got a player who's going to go pitch against the, you know, the L.A. Dodgers. Can you imagine facing the Dodgers? Seriously. And so I went to my guy who's he's kind of an up and down guy. And I said, are you better than the Dodgers? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I, that, who knows? Okay. Maybe you are at times, but that's not the question. The question is, is can you be better than Mookie Betts on one pitch just for one pitch? And he's like, yeah. I said, can you throw one pitch? It's going to be better than him. Yeah. And I says, there's your game plan. Just go pitch to pitch to pitch. And when you're done with this game, you should be emotionally exhausted because you were just focused on one pitch at a time. That's how you beat the Dodgers. Right, because the Dodgers are just trying to win a championship. That's big. If your focus is to win the pitch, their focus is on winning a championship. You're going to beat the Dodgers today. Does that make sense? I think it does. Well, it's like if you you know you look at the success that Corbin Burns is having, right? A pitcher with the Milwaukee Brewers who's who's gone through a lot of the same stuff that we're talking about here. You know, in 2019, statistically, as a starting pitcher, he has one of the worst ERAs in the history of baseball. It's like a, a over 10 ERA as a starter who had 40 innings, right? This year, two years later in 2021, the dude's ERA is like 0.3, you know, and he's got 40 punch outs with zero walks to start and set a major league record. So in two years, he essentially went, not just talking about the season, he went from the worst in baseball history to the best in baseball history, just set a record. First starter ever to go 40, you know, 40 uh, Ks, no walks to start a season. And I think it was Adam Wainwright who had, you know, 36 and he broke that record. And Kelly Jansen has the, the record of any pitcher with 51 out of the bullpen or whatever. If you ask Corbin Burns in an interview and I, and I, anytime he's in an interview and he's speaking mental game, I try to put it at Brian Kane peak on social media. So you can see these, if they were to ask him, are you the best pitcher in baseball right now? His answer would be some, he would probably like to say, that's a question I never entertain. And I don't ask myself that question because it's pointless. That's for other people to decide. The only question I ask myself is what's the next thing I need to do to prepare for my next start. That's the only question that I ask. And that's the only question I want to ask. Cause it's the only thing that I can control. He ha- he does not play the comparison game. If you asked him in 2019, are you the worst pitcher in baseball? You know, is he going to go? Yes. No, that's the death sentence, right? You know, you go, man, in 2018, I was one of the best guys in the game out of the bullpen. I'm struggling right now and I'm looking for answers and I don't have them. But when I get them, I'm going to turn this thing around. And that's kind of what I think the mental game did. And then getting away from the four seam fastball into the cutter and other pitches. And, you know, Joe Sato, I know you brought up the concept of, of tunneling one time. And there's some really good, really good visual images of Corbin pitching where it shows his, his ball coming out, let's call it the first, you know, 20 feet or 30 feet, like in the same line and then slider here, cutter there, change up here, fastball there. And it's like, it's so hard to hit because they're all in that same tunnel. So there's a ton of articles and stuff I've linked to on my social media where you can actually see those things happening. But it comes back to Zach, something that you said, as we wrap this call up here, you said, it's better to ask the right question than to have the right answers. And I think asking the question, are you the best versus are you good enough to succeed here on this one pitch? You know, I think that's a good question to ask. And the other thing you said, which I, I would say is one of the biggest things I took from the book, maybe you can unpack and then, and then we'll wrap this up. Unless any other coaches here have questions, um, you know, is on purpose with purpose. So let's hold table that for a second. Let's go to coach Mark Johnson from Cherry Creek high school in Colorado. Coach Johnson, you're here with Zach Sorensen. Yeah, Zach, uh, this is not a question. I want to say this to you because 
obviously I'm old enough and I was very good friends with Jim Thomas, Brent Chemnitz and Gene Stevenson. I know them very well. And I not only know how highly they think of you, but I want to tell you what I've gotten from the book. And the, the biggest thing from the book, the mental things are absolutely awesome, but your humanness is off the charts. Your honesty about the difficulties that you had, how you responded to difficulties, and what you've made yourself. And the thing that I enjoy the most about you is that you're taking what you've learned from the people that you've learned. I, the comment that you made from Jimmy Thomas in the book stuck with me. And one of the things that I, I think is so awesome is that you're trying to take your feelings that you had and you're trying to give them to the players you're working with. And I think that is nothing short of awesome. I just want you to know that. Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, uh, I'm going to piggyback that. So the intro to the book, I talk about how, you know, I, I'm warming up in between innings. I'm playing in AAA. And I, like I've done a thousand times, I catch the ground ball, throw over first base. And I airmail one of my balls. And it goes into the into the stands. And it almost hits a, a kid right in the head. Of course, any time you airmail a ball into the stands, it's Little League night at the ballpark. So there's kids everywhere. And they're not paying attention. What's interesting is, is the very next day I had somebody come up to me or, or after they got the book. And they said, man, that was interesting that you would go ahead and go there um, right out of the gate and be vulnerable like that. And they said, everybody puts you up as a role model on this pedestal as this major league player. And, and now we look at you as, I mean, man, you're str you had, you struggled. You know, I think yeah. I say the last 150 or so games, I, I basically was saying, don't hit me the ball. And uh, what's really interesting is the day after that conversation, I had another gentleman come and talk to me and he was a former player. He played about two years of professional baseball and he walked up to me and he's like, Hey, I started reading your book. He's like, the introduction, you talk about throwing a ball in the stands. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go again, you know, because the first gentleman was like, that's kind of risky to throw that out there. Except this time the player looks at me and he says, I was so grateful and glad to read that because I thought I was the only one who was thinking, don't hit me the ball for the last five years of my career. <laughs> you know, so my approach was this is, is, is listen, for us as coaches to be our very best and to be most effective with our players, we need our players to be vulnerable. Okay. How are players going to be vulnerable with me if I can't be vulnerable with them? And, um, you know, this game is, is a humbling game. It's a game that will bring you down. It's a game that will knock you down. Um, and, and we have to keep finding a way to get back up somehow. And it is a struggle and a battle. You guys know that. And I think that having these real conversations with your players will allow them to recognize that, that they can stay in the fight. Yeah, I think, and, and there's so many examples like that in the book, like your, which will impact, you know, in our, in our second session here with the players, like your story about going to Stanford and how you use that adversity as fuel, uh, the ankle injury that you had right before, you know, spring training or, you know, right before going to your major league season and then how you were in extended spring training and, you know, how you looked at your role there in extended spring training and how you wanted to continue to give back to other players who were there. I thought that was pretty cool. And we got coach Joe Sato here from Bingham high school in Utah. And Joe, you had a chance to, to kind of see Zach growing up as a player, I think, you know, and, and what was, what were your kind of memories, memories that you remember of Zach being a high school player from Utah and a coach in Utah? Uh, Brian and guys, I knew Zach when he was, uh, uh, I think first time sophomore, junior in high school, uh, know his background a little bit more. Um, don't let him fool you about not being a good enough player to go play anywhere because he certainly was, uh, he had all the skills and 
talent that you needed to have. Plus, you had the drive and desire and the work ethic and things like that that uh, that it would take to to keep going further and further your career. Um, just a little backstory on him, so you know where his work ethic comes from and how much he loves the game and you know why he is where he's at. Is that uh, back in the day we had a the instruction league and the fall programs were like they are today. There's there weren't as many showcases, weren't as many scout teams and all that other kind of stuff. And the only thing we had here going from Utah was the Utah Baseball Academy um, took a junior and senior team to the senior fall classics down in Peoria, Arizona at the end, which was the big recruiting thing, one of the only ones at that time. And in order to, to do that, you had to play in the instructional league. And so your high school team basically had to get an instructional league team together in order to go play in this instructional league, which is just basically Saturday morning, one game of whatever level it might be. And then a clinic during the middle of the week, one week in pitchers, one week in fielders, et cetera, because just about instructing, just trying to get better, trying to teach some skills of the game. And uh, Zach's high school baseball coach was like their defensive coordinator in football. So we basically had like no time for baseball. And then the school being not traditionally a great baseball school in Utah, um, they really didn't have much going on in the fall. So I find out, <clears throat> this is after the fact, actually, that Zach is a sophomore junior. He wants to, you know, he wants to further his baseball career. And they, from Utah, the only way to do that was to get involved in this scout program, the baseball academy, so we could go to um, Peoria to be seen. And um, so not having any real help from the coaching staff because they're all involved in football, Zach organizes his own team members in order to put together their own high school team to play in this fall instruction league on Saturdays. And then in order to play on the scout team from the baseball academy, you had to try out those days and then you had to be able to make it. So you had to be good enough to make it. Well, obviously Zach's good enough to make it, but now you've got involved with all the travel that's involved and they kind of up the program at that point to where um, they would go on weekends to play against the JCs and that. And so they would travel to college Southern Idaho. They traveled Treasure Valley. They traveled to Southern Nevada and Vegas and places like that to, in order to, to, to have some weekend things leading up to that fall classic. Well, what Zach does is he, his routine, I guess, seemed to be like this. It would be get up, go to school, um, have a little bit of baseball practice, maybe after, do his homework, you know, get some dinner, and then he would go clean buildings from whatever, 10 o'clock till 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning in order to get the money to be able to go participate in this uh, instructional league stuff and go travel on the weekends to go play because the family, middle-class family, not not destitute, but still not the extra money that it took at that time in order to go play on these events and stuff. And so I knew that that from his background, how he would be successful in what he's doing now. But also as a player, he he had a joy in playing the game. It was just fun to watch him play. He uh, he, he had a feel for the game. He knew uh, what to do. He knew, he knew the background of it. He knew he could look ahead and see what the next play was going to be and things like that. And then... Uh, just I, I, many, I don't know how many years ago Zach was up four years ago or five when you started the end of this journey he came back and, and well, I, he contacted us and I was fortunate enough to have a few things going on in the fall with our guys and and he came and did some sessions just to, I think to try to get see how it was going to go and where he was headed and he gave the same information had the same energy has the same passion for what he's doing right now and he gave it to like six of our players and just a handful of others at the time and the messages are all still the same. 
So for him to be as successful as he has and for the, the stories that he's telling in the book, for him to be as vulnerable as that and to show who he, where he comes from and was about, I think it helps players to it, high school level because he's, he was them. And you can see how successful he's been and, and they have that opportunity to be successful too if they'll take his advice. It's awesome. I didn't know that, Zach. I didn't know you were cleaning buildings 10, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., man. That's badass. It was awesome. Uh, we did them in the morning, 3.50 a.m. every morning for four straight years of high school. So 3.50 a.m., the alarm went off, 4 to 7 o'clock, grocery stores clean and done. So I was done with work by by school time, and uh, and there you go. And I was trying to get into the powerhouse schools, so academics were, you know, were extremely important to me, so I didn't let that affect it. But make, make well use of your time. Second time I've said this tonight, make well use of your time when – your other responsibilities don't need you. So that was the only time I could work. And, and I said, let's do it. It's awesome. Well, this is, this concludes, uh, you know, the one of three episodes with Zach Sorensen unpacking the hard 90. And we had a group of elite high school baseball coaches on the call where our second episode is going to be with high school players. So for the coaches on the call, if you can let your players know to come armed with questions, uh, we'll continue to unpack some of the principles that come out within the book around the seven skills in the four drills of the hard 90 and uh, be looking for episode two as a player. What can you take from the book, the hard 90 and put into your mental game? Zach, thanks for sharing this man. So much great info coming out here. Um, you know, love, love uh, what our coaches get to get to ask questions and get to share their stories. Coach Sato, that was brilliant. I had no idea about that. Zach, you love you even more now, man. And um, you know, coach Johnson, I echo exactly what you're saying about Zach's, you know, vulnerability and humility throughout the book. It was, um, as I read that, that was really cool. You know, some of the stuff about your family and things like that too. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that. So, um, lots of respect for you sharing that man. Really, really good. So we'll see you all tomorrow night until then don't count the days, make the days count. Zach, for all the uh, coaches that are listening to this, where can they engage with you? Pick up the hard 90 work, where can they continue down the journey with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm at Z Sorensen 4 uh, on the social media. Amazon has the book, The Hard 90, uh, Zach Sorensen. And then the thing I'm most excited about is the podcast right now. It's based on the book. It's based on the seven skills. It's great for your players. Four minutes a day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, four minutes a day. It is The Hard 90 podcast, and that's on, on Apple as well as on Spotify. So hopefully we'll just give them a little bit a lot, and we'll just keep working towards uh, trying to impact our players and give them the best chance to succeed. Love that. And uh, Zach, you did one more thing. You did mention there was a journal that you have on Amazon, uh, hitters journal, something like that. Where, where can we find that? Is that on your website? Yeah. Yeah. If you go, if you go just to Amazon, you type in the hard 90 with Zach Sorensen, it'll pop up. It'll just say mental performance journal next to it. And, uh, you know, one quick thing, if you do jump on Amazon, yeah, I was waiting for Kane to catch this. He has not caught it yet. No one's caught it. Okay. If you go to the, to Amazon to purchase the hard 90 book, if you look at the price of the book to purchase it, it is $14.24 to purchase the book, okay? 1%, there it is. There you go. Okay, love it. So thank you, guys. I appreciate all you do. Thanks for the support. And anything I can do to help, you know, that's what Kane and I, that's what we're here for. We are here to try to help you. We're here to try to help your players. And, and uh, anything we can do to, to kind of increase that and help you with the, the hard 90, we'd love to. $14.24, man. Love it. <laughs> fantastic <laughs> Zach thanks Where, what's your website where can people engage with you yeah I'm at zsorensen.com zsorensen.com and, um, and uh, we're working that we're trying to throw more programs your way love to help your teams in any way I can uh, through programming through speaking through one on one or if you have a question with that tough one just throw it our way and anything we can do to help you out we'll do it hard90.com is another thing we're working on we'll make it happen
Awesome. So the hard 90.com or the hard 90.com or Z Sorensen. And that's Z S O R E N S E N again, Z S O R E N S E N.com dominate the day. Thanks Zach. Thanks everybody. Hey, thanks for checking out this podcast. This is Brian Kane, and I would love for you to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show. I'd also love to engage with you directly on social media. So please reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. And then make sure you head over to BrianKane.com and check out some of our articles on our blog, some of our videos. And if you're a coach looking to master mental performance and up your game so you can help your clients get the results they've been looking for check out my mental performance mastery coaches certification where we teach you about the mindset routines and habits that your clients need to get the results they've been looking for if you're an athlete or a performer listening to this podcast head over to briancane.com and click on athletes check out my 30 days to mental performance mastery for athletes program where i walk you through and coach you virtually to help you master the mental game and give yourself the best chance for success thanks for being with us here on the podcast Let's dominate the day.